Thank you, Brother Tenney. I tell you, he has his own unique way of causing people to feel right at home. And this entire gathering and its massiveness and all of the tremendous extensive program that makes it up is a study in tremendous organization and correlation and the utilization of people's talents and follow-up. I tell you, it's just superb. Just a blessing to come and be around here. Still looking for my wife. I, she's a tremendous woman. And I'd like for her to come up here. <clears throat> All right. I appreciate your standing. I just want to say a few words before we open the scripture here tonight. I really enjoyed being here. I wish I could have been here for every bit of the camp. And uh, I know that I would have enjoyed it. It's just a pleasure always to come back to Louisiana. I remember so well uh, my particular heritage here at a very slight bend in the road about two and a half miles south of Noble, down toward Sabine River, now then Toledo Lake. In fact, some of Toledo Lake is on, covers the old farm that we were raised on. I was born in an old plantation house. It was a remnants of plantation days. Our farm was a part of uh, the old Riddick found a, uh, plantation. We had servants' quarters on the farm that we live in still. And uh, the people that uh, occupied those quarters we loved. And uh, I thought that they were just really a part of our very own family. Those were some of the old remnants of Southern uh, history that I, I can remember. And our, fa our parents were steeped in Southern Baptist tradition church. When I was in Cleveland, Texas sometime back, I went by uh, McMahon Drugs where my stepbrother uh, runs that drug and uh, his sons occupy about two or three different businesses in that town. Uh, my dad married three women before he married my mother. All three of those women died. Those were days of typhoid fever in wells. Springs, when people died, babies died, and uh, it was a rough time to live in a way. Lots of sickness, lots of malaria. And uh, so he was telling me about my dad preaching one night in the church there, Noble Baptist Church. My half-brother Gene was cutting up. My dad stepped out of the pulpit and went and got Gene, took him out and wore him out. And uh, somebody outside had something to say about it, some man, and he turned Gene loose and whipped this man and uh, then he came back in and, uh, and finished his sermon. <laughs> so those are some of the things that even went deep in me when for some reason I expected my children to mine and uh, they did and my wife couldn't quite understand some of those things and I couldn't either. But uh, they were in my genes. That was some of the old fashioned traditional 
things that used to be in people more than what they are. Incidentally, they mind it in school, too. And um, the teacher saw to it, and you didn't tell your mom and dad when you got home, you got a whipping. And uh, so those were some of those days. When we came to the Lord, of course, it was devastating and shocking and lots of persecution. But uh, I remember the first Louisiana camp I attended, 1936 in De Quincey. In fact, when I got the Louisiana Challenge, I said, I know my picture's in there. And I looked at it and I found Ivan L's picture, my sister's picture, and myself. I was standing beside her. That was the first time I'd ever seen a bathtub. I'd seen pictures of them in Montgomery Ward catalog, but uh, they used to farm the folks out to the saints' houses when you went to camp meeting in those days, and I had the good fortune of staying with a woman that had a bathtub. We, we didn't have that. We had outhouses. Some of you folks don't know what an outhouse is. But uh, the next camp meeting I attended was in Leesville, 1937, on the fairgrounds under a tent. Sister Wingate was a f official photographer at that time. She had a daughter named Esther. Esther married uh, Virgil Dykes. And uh, I see Brother Rasco here tonight. And uh, so uh, that's some of Louisiana history. Virgil and went to the same church Brother Rasco and myself went to in the great metropolis of Noble. And uh, those were great days. Grove meetings before church. Women praying behind the pastor's uh, uh, cave, uh, cow lot and the men going and praying across the road in the pine sapling thicket and uh, the pastor had to have a cow lot and he had to have a barn because you everybody paid tithes they paid tithes on hay syrup potatoes and you had to have a place to put it and uh, we had uh, we had great grove meetings and I thank God for that heritage yes sir First district conference I attended in uh, Louisiana was in 1938, Monroe, Louisiana. The church had a dirt floor and had poles that helped up the roof. Brother, uh, <coughs> Brother, uh, oh, Help Hill was pastor there, and Brother, I'm think, trying to think of the, uh, uh, the superintendent from Cotton Valley. Brother Yoakum was the superintendent at that time, and the big issue was where to have the next camp meeting. And there were 30 preachers present. In 1944, uh, my next camp meeting in Louisiana was at Montgomery. There were 200 people present. And Brother, uh, uh, there were two churches at that time, I remember distinctly at that time. I appreciated my revival meetings that uh, I had in the state of Louisiana. And uh, I remember 1944, some of my, I was uh, hitchhiked. I rode the bus and hitchhiked. No money for a car. And the war was on and they sung smoke on the water on the land and the sea. When the army and the navy overtake the enemy. When you were in a bus stop and you could hear those uh, Nickelodeons going and uh, it was about the war and whatnot. Spent uh, a night outside in Camp 8 because we got our wires crossed, lugged my suitcase up from the gravel road. Nobody came. The church house was locked up tight, but I did have some matches and I gathered wood and built a fire and spent the night outside. And uh, next morning went back down the gravel road and caught the bus back to Alexandria. 
And uh, that was in the year of 1944. Well, praise God. I thank the Lord for His goodness and His blessings. The second meeting that was in the block uh, building, there was a tent beside it owned by Brother Pardue. I borrowed the tent, carried it to Westlake, spent the summer uh, from one place to another in Westlake. And the, we, we were there, and God helped us reopen the church at that time. There where our first child was born. And uh, we thank God for our memory here. And it's great being back here in the Louisiana district. Praise the Lord. Praise God. And I had a reason for saying some of those things and paying allegiance to that heritage tonight. Because that uh, I want to very strongly and positively go on from that particular point uh, tonight. And uh, our subject for this evening is the blessings of God are on the cutting edge. The blessings of God are on the cutting edge. God blesses uh, <clears throat> the people in movement. God does not bless the people in arrestment and in stagnation. Because this is contrary to his very nature itself. I read tonight the text which... Uh, we have chosen the 32nd verse of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 and beginning with verse 32. My pleasure to see all of my fellow members on the general board and fellow men from this great district of Louisiana. Each of them are good men, great men, and we appreciate them. And we distinctly have love and appreciation for brother and sister Tenney. And we say that with all sincerity tonight. We esteem them very highly. Verse 32 of Hebrews 11. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and Samson of Jephthah and David also and Samuel and of the prophets. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sown asunder, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. These verses that uh, I have read to you tonight climax a long roster put together by an inspired man of heroes of the faith, a roster more illustrious than any that could have been compiled by any earthly authority, accenting the blessings of God upon people who truly believed in the Lord. In the 8th verse, the reference is made to, finally, these people who simply outclassed themselves. They superseded their environment. And according to what the prophet says, they came to the place where 
it was no longer fit that they should remain in this world of whom the world was not worthy. But then other players were to come upon the scene of action. The grand finale was to be left to people such as ourselves assembled here tonight. Verse 40 saying, God having provided something better for us that they without us should not be made perfect. And so we have come in our place and in our time tonight to fulfill a certain divine expectation. And I feel tonight the weight of destiny upon all of us. And I know that we have come to this particular time, to this particular hour, for a particular purpose that is uh, levied only upon this particular generation. Each person has played their part before us. But now it is our time to play out and finish out the great drama of God's purpose upon this earth. And I would observe tonight the words of our subject. The blessings of God are upon the cutting edge. It is the people that are upon the line of progress in God who are fired by an insatiable desire who are motivated by a tremendous yearning, who are not satisfied with simply the past nor the present, but reach into the future for what they feel like that God has for them. I cannot help but believe tonight, my friend, that all of the tremendous rich heritage which has been a part of this group of people and of this organization that we know as the District of Louisiana of the United Pentecostal Church, all that is in the past has simply been a preparation for that which remains in the future. I have to see it in that light tonight. That God's blessing is upon the cutting edge. God is a God of advancement and of unfolding revelation. Never one friend that is caught in stagnation. Not one that is ever surprised. Not one friend that ever comes into an emergency. For his view is ever and always to the future. And he sees it plain and clear uh, tonight. Since he is a God of revelation and of unfolding purpose, God's people are often thrust into unknown paths and called upon to walk in places that they have not been in before. More than once, in fact several times, even in the Old Testament, God said to his people Israel, For you have not passed this way before. It is characteristic of God to bring us into new experiences, not to repeat the same old experiences all over. The old experiences are fine and good, and I appreciate them, and I thank God for my heritage but oh, you are looking at a man tonight, friend, that is so excited about what God has in mind for his people in the future. I would observe tonight, friend, that the blessings of God are always on the cutting edge. It is where people will dare a step into some new venture, where people will dare trust him as Peter stepped out of the security of the boat and rested his feet upon the liquid wave. This was an element 
that he was not used to, but he dared to believe God. Such demands, of course, commitment from people that follow the Lord. Abraham, when he was called out into a place that he should afterward receive for an inheritance, without a doubt, had to lay everything upon the line. And Jesus himself said, Whosoever cometh after me, and hateth not his father, his mother, his brother, and his sister, cannot be my disciple. And again he said, Whosoever forsaketh not all that he hath, cannot be my disciple. I am speaking to you tonight, my friend, about the characteristic of Almighty God. That He constantly leads us into places that demand more than self-strength and self-assurance and self-courage. He constantly leads us beyond ourselves and calls upon us to do that which we cannot do within ourselves. For His blessing is upon the cutting edge. Praise God. It is out there where human strength ends. It is out there where human ability is none effectual. For God is a God of the extreme, not of mediocrity. John 15 and 13. Greater love hath no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. That is as far as even God himself could go. And yet God goes to the wall. He goes to the end. He goes himself to the extremity. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9. For ye know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. How that though he were rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Yet through, therefore you, because through his poverty you might be made rich. He emptied himself. He emptied himself completely. For he was utter in his giving and utter in his commitment. The scriptures show that God's greatest blessings are always on the cutting edge. And the scriptures reveal that. In Genesis 12, chapter verses 1 through 3, here we have the example of Abraham's call. Get you up and get you out into the place that I shall afterward show you. And he did not give him this invitation to follow him without also giving him the assurance. And I will bless you. And I will bless them that bless you. And I will curse them that curse you. But I would remind you tonight that that blessing came on the cutting edge. When a man left this and ventured into that. When a person was in movement. When a person was reaching. When a person was seeking. Oh, I would come to you tonight with such desperate sincerity. For if I speak to some precious saint here in this Louisiana district, who somehow or another, you have become lax in your praying, and lax in your consecration, and lax in your faith, and your venturing. Come off of it, friend. It is the reaching person. It is the hungering person. It is a thirsting person that God reaches out to bless. Praise God. That person that pushes farther than they've ever pushed before. That person that seeks to pray a better prayer than they've ever prayed before. Praise God. And then came the day that God dared Abraham to believe him. That they themselves would have a child, even in their old age. And at this great time of faith, 
when he could have staggered, though the scripture said he staggered not. Again comes the promise, I will bless you. If you could reach out and dare to attempt to believe something that has never happened before, at that point of stress, I will bless you. For God's blessing is always on the cutting edge. Praise God. When is it that God lifts his blessing from a group of people? When is it that no longer the praise comes from the lips of a saint? When is it that the preacher's sermons die and grow dead? It is when there is no advancement and there is no daring and there is no moving and there is no hungering and there is no reaching. Praise God. Praise God. Jacob was called to go out, or he did go out, lonely and frightened that night at Bethel. He received the promise of God. I'll go with you, and I will bless you. This promise of blessing came at a time of weakness and of trembling, of fear and of doubt and of loneliness. Both in his life and in Abraham's life, the blessing came down on the cutting edge at the point of stress. All the heroes of Hebrews chapter 11 were people who were blessed at the point of their extremity. They were blessed at the point of stretch and stress. They were blessed when they stood on the cutting edge, attempting that which had never been attempted before. Praise God. Oh, something in me tonight bids you tell me, tell you emphatically with all the fervor that I can tell you, my friend, don't dare to settle upon your lees. Don't dare, friend, to take it easy. You had better not. Praise God. Praise God. That's good for a saint. That's good for a preacher. That's good for a district. That's good for a general organization. I have just finished reading the book that says, and are we yet alive? That is a book written by a Methodist bishop. How bold and honest he was. I have also finished reading a book written by an Assembly of God preacher who asked the question, or the name of the book is Pentecost in Crisis. He tells of the, the crisis that comes into the Assembly of God movement. In each of these, my friend, it is when people have sought to save themselves and to placate themselves and to withdraw and to turn inward. And then God's blessings lifted and was no more. What I'm talking about tonight is just a part of, of the laws of life and Christianity. Because love itself is something that, that is extremely vulnerable. And does not save itself. Norman Rockwell's uh, paintings that he did for years for Saturday Evening Post. I suppose the one that impressed me so much and one I didn't forget. Was a picture of a schoolgirl, country schoolgirl. In a one room school. And the desks were there. And the boys and the girls were sitting scattered about. She must have been in her very early teens, and boys of the same age were there, a few of them. It was close to Valentine's Day, 
And the secret love she dared to reveal. And she put together the best she could of Valentine. And she made it for a boy that sat across the aisle. And evidently at the opportune moment, she passed the Valentine to him, not knowing what the response would be. But unfortunately, some of the other folks around saw what had happened. And immediately, there was a response from everybody, the lifted eyebrows, and there she was, her heart in her mouth, so frightened, so scared, so timorous, afraid of rejection that most certainly may come. And I always wondered how it turned out, how he really did respond. But you know, love is like that. Finally, the touch and the decoration and so on. I remember the first time that my wife told me that she loved me. And uh, it was after the first year of Bible school. And in those days, friend, you just, uh, you didn't do much courting in Bible school. <clears throat> and, uh, but school was out. And so since school was out, well, uh, it was just a little different, you know. And uh, her sister was there. Somebody had gotten married, and so we went down in Rising Star and uh, shivered them. Some of you young folks don't know what a shivery is, but, but we shivered them. We made him push her up and down the streets of Rising Star in a wheelbarrow and all the trimmings that went with it, you know. And uh, in the process of going down there, riding in my wife's sister's car, uh, we were sitting in the back discreetly she sat on her side and I sat on mine but somehow or other I just kept shoving my hand across the seat there in the back and you cannot imagine what happened when a little more than halfway across the back seat there my hand encountered her hand and 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 her fingers curled inside of mine I sat there and gasped for breath, and uh, <laughs> and <clears throat> there was a flock of uh, of goose geese that flew beneath my ribs, coming from this side, flying across, and they were hopefully pursued by three men on horses, and uh, <laughs> and we just sat there and looking straight ahead. And so finally, after a while, I trusted everything. And I, I leaned over some and I said to her, I said, I love you. And it seemed like a thousand years passed before a soft whisper came through the night from the other side of the car. I love you too. Love is always vulnerable. There's a chance of rejection. This is built into the thing. Yes, it is. It is the only the people who will stop trying to save themselves and to protect themselves and insulate themselves and get to the place that they're willing to be hurt if it comes that way for the sake of God's kingdom and for the sake of a soul and the sake of advancing the good work of the Lord. God only uses the vulnerable. 
in, Mo, in Genesis the 32nd chapter and the 32nd verse is a stark naked account of a man who laid it all on the line simply because he loved. When he had come back down the mountain and found them rejoicing around a camp, a cab, and God promised to destroy them. Moses said to Israel, I will go and I will intercede for you tomorrow. And so he went and he did pray. I don't know how long he prayed until he came to verse 32. And I don't know how much time is involved in verse 32. Because halfway through verse 32, Moses says this to God. Oh God, pardon thy people. And then there comes one of the mysteries of the scripture. There is a long mysterious dash. The mysterious dash. Which signifies that there was a bunch of words and stuff left out either. Or that there was a long lapse of time. And when he came to that point, nobody knows the heart that he put into it. The care he put into it. The tears that followed. Nobody knows what all else he said. But finally, he did come to the bottom line. And if not, he said, blot my name out. After the mysterious dash. Vulnerable, yes. All upon the line, yes. God blessed him because he was like that. Ever upon the cutting edge. I preach here tonight to somebody praying that your life is tainted and sordid with its cheapness and where you're always thinking of yourself and the saving of yourself and God's kingdom is strictly secondary unto you and Jesus Christ somebody that you use like you use everybody else. Come off of it. You'll never know the real blessings of God until you have trembled in fear upon the cutting edge. Upon the cutting edge. It's not enough for us to gather in tremendous conclaves like this and celebrate the glories of days gone by. Brother Tinney, I believe that the best days of Louisiana are ahead. Praise God. I believe God's got something for this district here. Friend, that's greater than it's ever experienced before. That is the program of God. From faith to faith. From victory unto victory. That is his way. First the blade. Then the stalk. And then the full grown corn in the ear. Always the cutting edge. I was in a seminar one time. Had to do with church growth. A very good woman that had been greatly used of God in teaching home Bible studies and soul winning taught. You could sense her sincerity. And after it was all over, I came and met her, complimented her, and she told me, she said, this has not come easy to me. It's all right now. But I had to experience a death before I came into this ministry. And I said, well, I wouldn't have thought that. She said, it started when I was just content in a local church. I had a good pastor. Everything went fine. I went to church. I prayed as much as I thought that I was expected to pray. I enjoyed the services. 
And then between services, I did what I wanted to do. And I had a friend of the world who was a very moral woman, a very good woman, a well-educated woman. She intimidated me. I knew she liked me, and I liked her. Our fellowship together was great. We thoroughly enjoyed the time we had together and respected one another. We just seemed to hit it off. And one night, under the blows of a heavy sermon, God said to me, I want you to teach your friend a home Bible study. And it was so emphatic until I couldn't mistake it. I couldn't get by with it. I took myself to three days of fasting. And after the three days was up, I called her. And she said, I was just thinking about you. Come on over. I baked a pie. Let's have some pie and coffee. And I prayed again. And I said, God be with me. And I went to her house. I was so afraid of her in a way. I didn't want ever to be rejected by her because I respected her so much. And so the meeting went and finally I knew I just had to broach the subject. And in a clumsy way I said, our church teaches home Bible studies and, and I'd like to teach a home Bible study for you either here in your house or over my house. And her eyes batted because this is something we never talked about before. And she was just a little bit flustered. And, and then she gained her composure because she was so capable of that. And then there came that smile just like I knew it would. And she said, oh, that's so sweet of you to think of that. But really, I don't think that uh, I'd really be interested in anything like that. Just exactly what I knew that you would do. But I had prayed for her and I loved her. And before I knew what I was done, I lunged out of my chair straight across the room and fell on my knees before her and grabbed her for arms. And with the tears already gushing out of my eyes, I screamed in her face, but you don't understand. I don't want you to go to hell. I love you. And that shocked her. It brought her to her senses. And she said, I did teach her a home Bible study. She did give her heart to God and was filled with the Holy Ghost. She said, that's the greatest moment of my life. But it didn't happen until she threw herself upon the cutting edge. It did not happen until she went beyond herself. There are people that I am preaching to tonight, friend. God wants to be more real in your life than you could ever imagine. But it is that matter of stepping out of self. It is that matter of going beyond human strength and human ingenuity and talent to the cutting edge. Praise God. There's been twice in my life that I've wanted something in the kingdom of God so badly that I told God, please God, let me die if that would bring it about. I want it done so badly and this would mean so much to your kingdom that Lord, I'm willing for you to take my life if you'll bring it about. In that moment I can testify that gone is the facade. Gone the cat and mouse games. Gone the hide and seek. You come to that place of naked honesty and divine sincerity. And I guess that's the reason why. That God can step across the threshold of an individual's life 
and do with them what he could never have done otherwise. Praise God. I want to pray for you right now. Dear God, this is your word. And Lord, there is someone here tonight that you told me to preach this far. And this word, oh Lord, take it to the threshold of that heart. I pray that you would do the work in that life. I pray, dear God, that you would come to that preacher tonight. That is stagnated, dear God. That one that has fallen into the doldrums of a windless sea. Oh, God, I pray that you would deal with one and all tonight. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In this tabernacle, not as it is now, but on the same spot of ground, I never will forget the impact and the shocking blow that came to me at the end of a powerful home missions meeting here on this spot of ground. These were the days of the early 70s when two years running the United Pentecostal Church was the fastest growing church organization on the North American continent. Days of revival and great challenge. And then at the close of that meeting, men came. And some of them are on the mission field today with great churches that began them out of that era of time. But the thing that arrested me was that there's someone brushed past me and descended the steps. And he did it early in the appeal. And he came to stand down at the front, sobbing. And his wife came to stand beside him. I thought to myself, what's going on here? And I thought, it's just the fact that he's trying to encourage someone else to come. It was a superintendent of this district. It was my father in the Lord. Brother C.G. Weeks. And after the meeting was over, he said, uh, did you put my name down? And I said, no, Brother Weeks. I didn't put your name down. Brother Tenney was here that day. He echoed my own sentiments. He came around. His words to me was, Brother Pugh, you don't plant your, you don't eat your, your seed corn. And uh, I said, I know that, Brother Tenney. No way. And he told me, he said, I want you to send me an application. I sent him an application. That dear man filled out that application to the T. He listed his assets. He told all about himself. How much money he had, how much income, and how much money perhaps he would need when he went on the field. And he signed his name and mailed it in to me. I held it that, and I wept. Man, that was the end of that. I didn't pursue that. I knew where the will of God was for him, I thought, right here. Praise God. But he didn't like that. And he told me about it when he saw me again. He said, how come that you didn't process my application? But that was yesterday. His face comes up before me so often. His picture is in my study. I remember the night that I walked the aisle and came and gave my heart to God when Brother C.G. Weeks was preaching. Yeah, but that was yesterday. Are there anyone, is there anyone left that has that sterling character 
that has the fine-tuned ability to respond when God needs men and when God needs somebody to step in the breach in the prayer room for the Bible studies and what not, I would submit to you all over again, friend, that God's blessing is upon the cutting edge. Men whose lives I have seen blessed is men who ever and always were ready to lay themselves on the line and do it and do it again. God's talking to someone here tonight. I feel it in my spirit. Praise God. Praise God. The scriptures give account of, of careful casualties. People that uh, saved themselves and then lost it. Hebrews speaks much about the rest that Israel would not enter into. And then after he spoke at length about the rest that Israel failed in, he came and challenged the church and said this, And there remaineth therefore now a rest for the children of God. If I put my watch here upon this, upon this hanger tonight and left it and nobody took it off, a year later I could truthfully say there remains a watch hanging on the pulpit in Tioga, Louisiana. There remains a rest. I cannot help but believe that I have not found out all about God yet. I cannot help but believe that there is more that I can know about Him. I cannot help but believe that I can draw nearer to Him. In times like these, God is looking upon His people and He is asking you, would you dare? Would you dare? Praise God. We have a good man our city. He's a pastor of the Cumberland Presbyterian. One day talking with him, I said to him, Vernon, Cumberland Presbyterian. What's the difference between Cumberland Presbyterian and just Presbyterian? He said, we are the group of people that at one time in the days of great revival in the late 18s, we shouted and danced and, and we demonstrated. And uh, he said because of that, we, there came a division. And there, this is the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. I said, do you folks still do that? He said, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> and he said, but we have lost something. I said, what happened? He said, we grew, but then we became inverted. And we became defensive, and we turned inward upon ourselves. And he said, when we did that, we quit growing. And said, we're not very large. And there's only just a few churches in this particular diocese here. And uh, we, we're not very many. Hebrews 6, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on per to perfection, and etc. And I will not quote it all. That does not mean quit doing the things that are right. And so on. But I'd like to put that in its right perspective here tonight. Military logistics teach us that if you are truly going to secure a particular position or a point or a city, the best way to secure that city is to move the point of battle 
beyond that city and make the issue be far from there. If you're going to lend security to this, move the issue up to something else and thus secure that which is behind you. I would say to you tonight, friend, if we ever and always hold in question things, we continuously jeopardize them in some sense of the word because they are always in question. For this man that stands before you tonight, what I heard in noble Louisiana under the ministry of Sam Stogner and C.G. Weeks is no question. I settled it. Praise God. Hallelujah. It's settled. It's no issue. Praise God. When I first started teaching my Bible study in Odessa, Texas, I taught a few Sundays and a very dear old man came around. And he said to me, he said, Brother Pugh, when are you going to get on some of those good, good sound, some of that good sound teaching? I said, what, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, like baptism in Jesus' name and, and oneness of God. I put my hand on his shoulder. I said, have you been baptized in Jesus' name? Yeah. I said, do you believe there's one God? Yeah. I said, are you having any problem with it? And uh, I said, is there any doubt in your mind? And, and so, oh, no, no. He said, I, I said, now tell me, how come you got to hear that again? And that uh, you, oh, that's, you happen and, and, and you, you fulfill that. I said, how come that we got to go over that again? Sure, I believe it ought to be preached. Sure, we need to go over it every once in a while. Sure, we do. But friend, the real issue is out there. For God's blessing is upon the cutting edge. God's blessing, friend, is where a person dares and it. Glory. It's such a blessing about getting older because you don't have to prove nothing. And uh, you can just <clears throat> preach away. Glory. Woo. And I prayed and I said today, God, not for any glory of my own, not for any stroke of my ego, but if I could be a channel that you could move your purpose through to a wonderful body of people. If I could say something tonight that would be of help and a blessing to somebody, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We experienced something like that here a while back when the depression hit uh, uh, Odessa, oil crunch. And we began to have a little problem paying our bills and meeting our utilities. And I prayed about that. We had been into our church three years, our new church. Church was a million and a half dollar structure. And uh, so I brought it to God. And just as clear as a bell, the Lord says, Don't you go pour mouth into those people. Don't you start whining around about the lights and the gas and the water. I dare you to put me to a test. Go beyond that. Let the issue fall somewhere else. 
Let it fall beyond the apparent need. And so I got up and I felt led of God. And I talked to Terry. And he says, Dad said, I believe you're right. And so I came back to the church. We talked about hard times. And I said, you know what God wants us to do? He wants us to pay the church off. Go beyond the bills now. Escalate it to a higher level. Outstrip and transcend that. Get beyond that. Draw the line somewhere else. You be in charge. Praise God. You set the battle in array. Praise God. Let it be your choice. Don't be a victim of circumstance. Hallelujah. Next morning, Terry preached a sermon doing the best of things in the worst of times. Praise God. And in three months, we paid it off. Hallelujah. And we celebrated town-wise through a big supper. Had $20,000 left over to feed the city. Praise God. The many wanted to come and help to celebrate and to say, Hey, Odessa, there's a God in heaven. He'll help you find jobs. He'll help you find work. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo. Glory to God. I feel like tonight that God is speaking to some preacher here tonight. Satan may be kicking you in the teeth. God may short to be short. The devil might be short snubbing you to some low post somewhere. God's got something for you. Praise God. Hallelujah. I don't know why sometimes we become victimized and we become prisoners of other things and because we like security so much. I really appreciated a fair dear man in my life who had a lot of influence over me. And he intimidated me. He was a strongly opinionated man. And he didn't mind letting you know how he felt about who or what. Very good man. If a preacher was preaching and he didn't like them, he just sat like this. If he liked them pretty good, he sat like this. If he liked them fine, it was like this. If a singer didn't meet what he felt like, he sat like this. And I was a young man, and I'd always take a look at him to see where he was. And that went on in my life. And one day, there's something just broke inside of me. And I said, fully on you. Uh, I'm a grown man. I can think. I can make my own decisions. And I'm not going to be a prisoner of you. Praise God. I don't know whether I'm preaching to anybody here tonight or any preacher who does not have enough security, my friend, to stand before God and stand on your own feet. Praise God. And make your decisions. Am I preaching tonight to somebody here too intimidated for the cutting edge? You're always behind the fence somewhere. Always, friend, hiding and scared and trembling somewhere. There's a great big world out there. And Isaiah 9 and 7 said to his kingdom, there are no frontiers. Praise God. Woo! Glory. Thank you, Jesus. 
Hallelujah. The great revivals come from great commitments. When the church becomes an institution and ceases to be a mission, it has forfeited its right to exist. It is ever and always to be on mission. Ever and always crusading. Ever and always reaching. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I've told more than one of our youth directors, don't you give our young people socials. Don't you do it. Shove them to the cutting edge. Put them on the streets. Put them winning souls. They'll know how to socialize. They'll take care of that. You don't have to worry about that. Yes, sir. But it's a cutting edge. It's where the blessing is. Praise God. When I go down Highway 171, when I visit my sister Ebarb and Manny, and I swing around the bend, heading south, I'm always blessed by the sight of a beautiful building and the forks of the road. United Pentecostal Church of Manny, beautiful building. It stands there, and it's being filled up, and people are receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost because of my sister's pastor, who has dared go to the cutting edge who has extended himself to do that which ordinarily is not done. To meet the people that ordinarily you don't try to meet. And to reach out love to people that might be a little difficult to love. Praise God. Down just south of that church, there is a right of way that crosses that highway. I can tell you that almost the day that I staggered across that asphalt, I was so weak and so wrung out with sweat until I could hardly walk. And I had a bush hook in my hand. I was 15 years old. I had to compete with grown men in holding a job. The boss man rode a horse, rode up and down that, that right away, cursing us and telling us, if you can't do the job, there's somebody out there ready to get it, and so on. If somebody had told me right around the bend in the forks of that road, Someday there's going to be that kind of a church with that kind of a people attending that kind of a church. I would have said, you're crazy. How did it happen? Because somebody dared to go to the edge. Praise God. Somebody dared to believe God. If I preach tonight to somebody that is content with the status quo, that is swung back in some corner of security, come out of it. I know that life will give you a contract. It will guarantee you never to fail if you also promise life that you'll never attempt anything. That's right. Praise God. I believe that the greatest events in God's kingdom is yet to be. Ephesians 3 and 20. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we're able to ask or think according to His power that worketh in us. It seems like that God's always beyond, able to do more than I could even imagine, beyond my imagination. I have to remind myself that it was Abraham that stopped counting that day. I have to remind myself that it was a widow woman that stopped bringing the empty vessels that day. I do know tonight that God will occupy all the space that I provide for Him. Praise God. Hallelujah. 
And I want to come to a close tonight saying this, that God expects every generation to come to a place of trust where it's got to have him. I'm tremendously concerned about second, third generation Pentecostals. First generation Pentecostals, and I'm not talking historically. I'm talking about what happens in a family when the first member of that family turns Pentecostal and walks the old aisle, finds the way to the mourner's bench and uh, moves out of mom and dad's church and all of that goes with it. It's traumatic. It's decisive. It's killing. It's costly. They drive a stake into the consciousness of themselves that will ever always be there. An indomitable point of reference. I remember that day. It was so with the Apostle Paul. Over and over he said it. And I was on my way to Damascus. And there shined around about me a light. Brighter than the noonday sun. And I fell to the ground. It was a power encounter. It was him meeting God. For the first time in his life. It impacted him. It stressed him. It traumatized him. He never got away from it. I remember when I came to God. And I left my friend standing in between the pews. Brother Weeks preached from the fifth chapter song of Solomon. I sleep but my heart wicked. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh saying. Open to me my love, my beloved, my undefiled. For my head was wet with you and my locks with the drops of the night. But I have put off my robe. How shall I put it on? Wash my feet and how shall I defy? And so on. I remember that night. I remember the next day also. When I made a clumsy attempt to witness Dale Ree Moore in school and at the water fountain when he said as he drank the water, that water is as cold as H. And I said, hell's not cold. And then he turned on me and the friend turned on me. Hey, Pew, heard you went to the Holy Rollers last night. Heard you got the goat last night. And I said, talk in tongues for us, Pew. Hey, glory, glory, glory. Talk in tongues, Pew. I turned to walk away, and he cleared his throat, spitting on my face. I just took my sleeve. We didn't have handkerchiefs in those days. And wiped the glob of smit off. Turned again to walk away, and the other one ran up behind and kicked me. Those were the good old days. I don't forget coming to God. But my children came to God, and it was different. It was safe. We were the parsonage. It was bland. It was not costly. Now I'm praying for my grandchildren as they reach for God. And their experience for God is even more bland, insipid, and dull. Same Holy Ghost, yes. But David said, God forbid that I should offer unto him an offering that costs me nothing. To those Pentecostals that have come to God out of Pentecostal homes. There's got to be a cutting edge somewhere. There's got to be a commitment that's costly somewhere. There's got to be a knocking off of the horse somewhere. And if it doesn't happen, we're going to die. We're either going to have to run enough sinners through our altar, or we are going to have to have some old-fashioned commitments all over again in our constituency. That's very costly.
that kills self. Praise God. I remember so well a Sunday afternoon, a little community crossroads on the Oak Grove Highway. It was known as Sardis, a little community. There was a little old building down the way that was never painted. There were some old slat seats in there. The doors were never even closed, much less locked. And if whatever you put there was left there. Nobody stole from churches in those days. And churches were never locked. And so they didn't have enough people down there to support a pastor. People, the uh, pastor, the pastor didn't noble, went down to Sardis on Sunday afternoon and preached. And then one day they had an all-day meeting. And I went down there. I was just a young fella. We fasted that day. Fasted all day. They had a real good well of water at the corner and pulled that water up out of there and we all drank out of the same gourd. And uh, people coming along the road stopped and drank water. And so that afternoon, the men took some pans and a bucket of water, one pan, a bucket of water, and we walked up through the deep sand to an old Baptist church. It was abandoned up on the hill and knocked the dust off of the seats and we washed one another's feet. And we prayed and then after a while we walked back down the road and women had washed one another's feet back down in the Sardis church. And the benches were like this from front to back and then there were a few benches sideways at the side door and I was on the sideways benches on the front bench. And we were singing and I had my eyes closed and the blessings of God was there. I was so hungry and and all of that, but I love God. In those days, you just reached after God. and You just was hungry for God and thirsty for Him. And I was reaching after Him. And then suddenly the whole thing changed. It changed. And I felt, I felt my hair stand on end on the nap of my neck. And I opened my eyes. And that little old church was full of smoke. And the glory of God had filled the place. <clears throat> and people fell from their benches and fell between the benches and I lunged outward and fell on my face <clears throat> before the, uh, the rostrum there. And there was the moaning and the groaning and the weeping and the reaching. How long? I don't know. But every now and then I meet some of those old-fashioned people that are still alive like Daryl Odom and, <clears throat> and uh, P.V. Webb and, uh, and uh, Melvin Odom and some of those folks and and we talk about that day. And, and, uh, and O.V. Oldham told me, he said, you know, Brother Pugh, he said, not a hand touched that pulpit. But said, when the smoke lifted and we could all get our senses, that pulpit was moved somewhat from where it stood. Somebody might say, I don't believe in that. I believe in that. I was there. I like my religion high, wide, and handsome. I believe God can do anything. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory. Woo. I don't want this dry-eyed, sober-sided, lackadaisical, God-ten Sunday business. Praise God. I want it, friend, blood red. Praise God. Sky blue and a yard wide. Hallelujah. Woo! Glory. 
So God called Abraham and he went to the cutting hedge. And he traveled there for a while and God called him again and said, Put Ishmael out. Oh God, put Ishmael out. And we will do that. We want to be rid of the despicable things of our life and the drinking and smoking or whatever. Yes, we will let Ishmael go. But eight years passed. And then God put his finger solid on his religion and said, I want Isaac. I want the second, I want the third generation. I want them to come under the knife. I want them to feel the cut of the cutting edge. I want them to go to the altar and feel the restraint of compulsion and the ropes upon them. And I want them to come to some naked, ghastly commitment. Praise God. I feel what I am preaching tonight. We've either got to have a tremendous influx of sinners into the United Pentecostal Church or we're going to have to have a reevaluation of our own personal commitment to God. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory. Praise God. First Chronicles, the 14th chapter, the 15th verse, David said, How shall I order the battle? And this was a challenge come from the Philistines right after Israel anointed him to be king, and they rose up against him. And he said, You don't go and meet him frontally, but go around by the mulberry thicket. And you wait there. How long shall I wait, God? And the King James Version said to you, hear the going in the top. And you may have a, a Bible. If you, I think a Schofield would have it in the margin. You wait until you hear the sound of marching feet through the tops of the trees. These are the shock troops invisible preceding you. Going to join the battle initially. You simply are to be the follow-up troop. You wait until you hear the sound of marching feet. Yeah. Terry came across some folks, what, about four weeks ago. Young men about his age. Connected with, I suppose, a world figure in religion. And in talking, they asked him, said, what to... Are you with? He said, I'm United Pentecostal. They said, United Pentecostal? He said, yeah. They said, we baptize in Jesus' name. We baptize 70 Sunday in Jesus' name. Our leader believes oneness, and as soon as uh, a certain powerful figure on the radio and TV calms down, he's going to declare himself. I understand the man has since died since then. So, and then comes this statement. The best preachers on the North American continent are in the United Pentecostal Church. The best singers on the North American continent are in the United Pentecostal Church. And Brother Urshan told me last night, another world-renowned man had this to say. The United Pentecostal Church is the best-kept secret, perhaps, in the world. There is something in us that needs to be released. Something, something. David served his generation. I'd like to serve my generation. I'd like to communicate to my generation. Dear God, help me to communicate to my generation. Oh, yeah. Praise God. 
I think about the building of the module, Apollo 2 flight. It was done by uh, the Dynamics uh, Company out of uh, Los Angeles, California. And a fellow that wrote the book, Peak Performers, told how that his particular unit of work, its production was in the lower 50s. When they started working on the moon module, their excellence moved up in the top 15. They became top performers. Mediocre men became great men and became excellent and they excelled. And they did things that they wouldn't have felt like they could have ever done. And one night in the wee hours of the morning, he and his manager, tired and weary, walked across the parking lot to get in their car and drive home. And he remarked, why is it that we're having such outstanding production? Why is it that we are doing things that we never dreamed that we could do? I have amazed my own self. And they stopped. The manager stood there with his coat over his arm and he pointed to the pale moon just barely visible in the eastern sky. And he said, for thousands of years, people have dreamed about going there. And he said, we're going. So that makes a difference. But a person that's not going anywhere. Oh, yeah. God's got something He wants you to do. God's got something He wants us to do. I can't help but believe that there is something that God's got in mind for this wonderful group of people. Praise God. There's an old song we used to sing. I'd like to sing it. I'll go where you want me to go. Praise God. That more than likely for most of us means across the street, across town. That's right. To the prayer room. Amen. To church regularly. To our neighbor. Might mean more than that. Praise God. Let's sing it. Where you want me to go, oh, yeah. dear Lord, I don't think sermons are meant for entertainment. And I feel like that they're meant to be acted upon. Else we turn into mere listeners of the word. And God wants somebody tonight to drive a stake down. And God wants somebody here to make a commitment. God has spoken to some minister here tonight. And I know it. Praise God. Hallelujah. Oh Jesus tonight, help us to be absolutely honest. But so, Lord, I pray to really open ourselves up to Thee. Dear God, lead us. Lead us tonight. Lead us, Lord. Lead us tonight. In Jesus' name, lead us. Lead us tonight. In the name of Jesus.
in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Praise God. Let's sing that song again. I'll go to the Lord tonight. to the young people that might be here tonight you know I was talking about the smoke in that little old church house in Sardis there are people that have never got close enough to God to feel goosebumps there are people that have never got close enough to God to feel their hair stand on end there are people that have never got close enough to God that it scared them and they tremble in the presence of God. We have lots of folks raising up in our church that have never had a power encounter. And they've never been stricken down flat. And they've never come to a place of tremendous fearful surrender. And as Isaiah said, woe is me. Oh yeah. Seems like we ought to hunger for something like that. We ought to reach for something like that. Let's all put up our hands and pray tonight. Oh, Jesus, come by here. And Jesus, come by here. Oh, Jesus, come by here. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. 
Praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, righteous one. Hallelujah. Yes, we're reaching after God. Yes, we're reaching after God. Yes, we're reaching after God. Oh, Lord, come by here. Just flow.